The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Right, if you have your Bibles, meet me in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series called We, and we're continuing our journey through the Ten Commandments, and today we're on that final commandment, uh, Thou shalt not covet. So let's read together. Um, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Right, let's go before our king and pray. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus name. I just thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to be in your house. Uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, just to, uh, to be here to worship you and, and to praise you, Father God. And I pray uh, that you would open the eyes of our hearts this morning, that you would allow us to see you for who you truly are, that you would remove the distortions, uh, that you would re- remove the distractions and anything that may get in the way of us hearing you and, and seeing you for who you are, Father God. I pray that I would inc- I mean, decrease so that you would increase, Father God. Move me far out of the way so that your people may hear from you. Uh, it's in your mighty sons, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. All right. I want you to go somewhere with me. I want you to use your imagination. Go somewhere with me. All right. I want you to imagine uh, finding a love so great that once you found this love, you didn't desire anything else. I want you to imagine all of the longings and all of the cravings for anything or any person or anywhere being completely brought to a halt because you have found this great love that has satisfied you so well. I want you to imagine for a minute, just go there with me, being uh, completely secure, being absolutely sure of, of the fact that you love and that you're fully known. I want you to imagine going to a place like that, all right? To have a love like that would be to have everything. But to lose a love like that would be to lose everything. Friends, that is the human condition. That's the human condition that we find ourselves in today. That's the story of all humanity, that man was in a perfect love state with God in the garden We experience perfect harmony with God and perfect love and perfect security with God in the garden. And then man sinned and man fell from grace in that moment. And ever since then, we've been on this journey to find that love again. again. And we've been on that journey to find that quest again. Alright? And nothing ever can be enough now because we've had that before. I've heard it said that it's hard... Uh, to go back to Hamburger Helper once you've had steak, all right? We've had the greatest. Our hearts know that there's something better out there. And nothing can ever be enough. Uh, Lauren Allred sings of a song that talks about this. It's called Never Be Enough. And these are the lyrics of the song. It says, All of the shine of a thousand spotlights 
All of the stars we can steal from the night sky will never be enough. Some of y'all want to sing it, I say. You know it. You've seen Greatest Showman. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These world, this, these hands can hold the world, but it'll never be enough for me. And this is the human condition. We can purchase the gold. We can buy the homes. We can get the job. We can get the guy. We can get the girl. We can get the car. We can have the kids. But something inside of our hearts is yelling, that will never be enough for me. Why? Because we're created for more. We're created for more. We are created for God. That's why nothing else will never be enough. C.S. Lewis had this to say. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. That's the most probable explanation. And this is the big idea for today. All right, this is the most important thing I'll say today. If, if you want to just check out and think about the football season, whatever, after I say this. All right, this is the big idea. And the big idea is this. Nothing is enough until God is enough. Nothing is enough. Amen. Until God is enough. Until you are in a secure relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, nothing else will ever be able to satisfy you. You will have an unquenchable thirst and you will try things and people and places and you will come to the same conclusion that nothing is enough for me until God is enough. Nothing is enough. And so my question to us this morning, downtown church, are you content this morning? Are you content this morning? And if you are, glory be to God. And I know why you are content, and that's because of Jesus, if you're content this morning. And if you are not this morning, for whatever reason, there is hope for the longing heart. There is hope for the longing heart. I just want to say something uh, for a point of clarification. It's okay to desire things, right? It's okay to have desire. God has given us desire. It's okay to want something. It's okay to want better for yourself. That's not sin, but we do cross over into sin when that desire is misdirected, all right? And when it's uh, maybe obsessive over something and it, and it moves to that place of idolatry, or, or maybe when we move to the place of wanting someone else's stuff. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue in the Ten Commandments. And we talk about that Tenth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet. I want to read it one more time. It says, listen now, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. It could be tempting to want to check out. That seems very archaic. You're like, well, I don't have a donkey. I don't have an ox. I don't have a female servant. I don't have a male servant just hanging around the house. What are you talking about? I can just check out. That has nothing related to me. And what does covet mean? Nobody even says covet anymore. All right. Um, We're going to get there. We're going to get there. To covet, and this is our definition for covet, to bring it back to our time, the 21st century time. It says to covet, this is our definition, is to want what's not yours. It's to want what's not yours. 
That's what it means uh, to covet. In this passage, God is saying that you are not to desire or want anything that is your neighbor's. And as uh, the Israelites are, are at Mount Sinai, they've received every other commandment, and every other commandment has been action-oriented, right? So thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt, shalt not murder. Uh, those are very action-oriented commandments, but this final commandment has to deal with the heart. And so what God is saying is, I don't just want moral conformists. I'm, just try, I'm not just trying to get you to conform morally. I'm after something else. As I make this covenant with you, Israel, as I make this covenant with you, body of Christ, I am after your heart. So we're going to go past just the action phase. We're going to get to your heart. Thou shall not covet. Let's zoom in a little more on that word covet. All right. And you can be tempted to think it's not so bad. It's not an action. All right. It's just a feeling. It's just something that's going on in my heart. It's just on the surface. But I would dare say that everything begins there. Every other commandment that it's broken, it is broken because someone began there. It's because we begin there with the eye. It all begins with a look. It all begins with the lust of the eye. And then you begin to progress little by little. The fall of mankind uh, became uh, with, the, with the lust of an eye. All right? So covenant says, I want your house. I want your spouse. I want your money. I want your job. I want your talent. I want your upbringing. I want um, your body shape. I want your hair. I want your clothes. I want your family vacations. I want the freedom that you have from being single. But I also want the security, but I want the security that you have from being married. I want the joy that you have from having kids. But I want the flexibility that you have from not having kids. It's a very real thing, body of Christ. Um, I actually had a conversation with a friend back Last year, me and Ashley had just got back from a trip. We went to New York for the holiday, and uh, we had just got back, and we were having a conversation with a friend, and they were saying, just want to be honest with you, Terrence. I feel like we kind of uh, envy you and Ashley. You guys are just able to just get up and go so freely. You don't have any kids or anything holding you down, and we kind of envy that. Look, you guys are just really uh, just enjoying yourselves. You just get to go so freely, and we wish we could do that. <laughs> Right after, the thing is, they were telling us that, but that was after me and Ashley had just had a miscarriage. And the conversation kind of veered to, well, I know you may be envious of the fact that we have so much freedom and we're able to get up and go, but sometimes we kind of envy you as well because we wish that we had something that could maybe tie us down a little bit. And what we realized is that uh, we were wanting what the other had and not truly being thankful for what God had provided for us and what we had. But isn't that how it works? Isn't it amazing how our hearts are so inclined to believe that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence? Nobody's pain is like my pain. I'm struggling, they're just living. The grass is greener over there. They're just, their life is sunshine and rainbows. Can I say for a second, do not compare 24 hours of your day to a five-second Facebook post of someone else's day that they probably took time to crop and edit to make look perfect, right? Don't compare your real life to someone else's social media life. Y'all are going to make yourself sick. 
That's right. Many of us do it. But this is the wickedness and the deceitfulness of our hearts, right? We're so suspicious of the fact that maybe, just maybe, we're getting the short end of the stick. We're just always suspicious that we're, we're the ones getting the short end of the stick. So the coveting heart has no peace. It loses sleep. It's always checking the social media timeline. It's always trying to keep up. And it's never at rest. And it will make you absolutely miserable. Miserable. So why do we covet? Why do, why do we do this? Um, I believe ultimately we covet because we doubt God's goodness. And I would dare say that your coveting issue is first a theology issue. Your coveting issue is ultimately a theology issue. We believe that God has somehow gotten it wrong in our lives, that we got the wrong order. We think of God as that teenager at the fast food drive-thru who gets your order wrong and gives your order to the car in front of you and they just drove off with what's yours, now you're mad. All right? And so we think of God that way. God, God is not the teenager who got your order wrong. You don't have the wrong order. God got it right. Your wins and your losses, God got it right. We talked about it earlier. The fall of mankind began like this. It began with the coveting eye that got out of control. I want to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 for us. And this will show us how coveting, even though it's just a heart thing, can eventually turn into an action and can really get us in some trouble. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, a seed of doubt, he's sowing that seed of doubt, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden, And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, God said, God said, the word of the Lord, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. That one over there. We can't have that one. There's boundaries, all right? And neither shall you touch it, let alone eat it. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. This is the word of the Lord. This is what God said. So God had set clear boundaries for Adam and Eve. There was life to be enjoyed. There were things for them to have, but there was something that they couldn't have also. And the desire for that thing could ultimately ruin them. Let's see what happens. Verse 4. It says, but the serpent, the worst but in the Bible, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Satan is calling God a liar. That's why the coveting issue is a theology issue. Now we have a bad God who lies. And if God is a liar about one thing, that means I can't trust him with anything. And now I'm insecure in a world with a God that you can't trust. is a scary place. Now I have to figure it out for myself. And so this is what, what Eve does. And he says, um, for God knows, and this is Satan, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. And so in Eve's heart, God is not good anymore, but if I get this fruit now, I'm beginning to covet this fruit. And, and God isn't good, but if I, I don't want a relationship with God no more, but I want his power. And now that if I reach for this and grab this, I'll be like God. And that is the coveting cycle that many of us find ourselves into. The coveting cycle is we compare what we have to what we don't have or to what someone else has. 
And then we begin to complain to God about that thing. And then because he doesn't give us what we want when we want it, we begin to covet now and go after that thing. So this is the coveting cycle. Cycle. We compare. All right. It begins with the comparison. We compare. Then we complain. I don't have what they have. We complain. And then we covet. And that's that cycle. We compare. Look what they have. Look what I have. Look what I don't have. We compare. Then we complain. Are you serious? Look what you did for them. I, I deserve better. And then we, we covet. And that's a cycle that many of us find ourselves in. A discontent, coveting heart, all right, can hide behind a smile, but ultimately it will leave us miserable if we don't watch it. So how do we break this coveting cycle? How do we break the comparison, complaining, coveting cycle that so often drives us crazy? All right, It's hard to beat. The entire marketing industry is built on making you covet, all right? You, you just got the iPhone 7, but the, the 10 is out, and now your iPhone 7 isn't good anymore. I love my iPhone 7, by the way. They're going to have to do something real cool to make me feel like I need to buy something else. That's another story. That, but that's the way the marketing industry works. It's built on making you think that you're not good enough and that what ha- somebody else has is better. And so how do we fight against this coveting? cycle in our life. The first thing I'll say is this, and it's our first point of application, is to acknowledge that our hearts are deceitful. We have to start there. We have to acknowledge that our hearts are deceitful. I, Terrence Gray, have to acknowledge the fact that I am capable to falling into this. And aside from God working in my heart, I am going to be a coveting, envious man if I'm not satisfied in God. So I have to be aware of what's going on in me. Total, total depravity is real. The fall of man is real. The fact that we have inherited a sin nature is real. And our hearts are wicked and deceitful above all things. That's what Jeremiah 17:9 tells us. Uh, he says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's what he's talking about. We have to start there with acknowledging the fact that I can be tempted to go for the fruit even when I've been told not to go for the fruit. And I need to, I need to be able to second guess myself on some things before I try some things or go for some things. I really wish Eve would have second guessed herself. All right. I really wish she wouldn't have trusted what she was feeling at the time. And so you and I, if we can go to war with this coveting in our hearts, we have to be uh, at a place of humility where we can admit that our hearts are deceitful and can trick us into believing some things. All right. I have to be on guard in that area of my life. And not only do I need to be on guard, I need other people in my life with me, helping me. Uh, to be on guard because I don't want to go after the forbidden fruit and I don't even want to look at it for too long. All right, So I need people in my life that can help me with that. I think it's so interesting. It's so interesting that we have all of this accountability for all the external sins, right? And so we have accountability for, uh, for, for sexual sins and for um, stealing. If you ever worked in the word financial, you got to sign all these boxes to make sure people know you touch the money and all that type of stuff. We have all this accountability for external sins, but it's rare that we put the safeguards in our life for those secret little internal sins of the heart that if not watched can get completely out of control. And so what I'm saying is we need people in our lives that can walk with us because I can't trust me and you can't trust you because we are fallen. You need someone that'll say, I noticed that you talk about that thing a lot, right? I noticed you talk about that person a lot or that job or that lifestyle 
a lot. Uh, are you covered in that? All right. Is that causing you to lose peace with God? Uh, you need someone that will uh, say, I, do you actually need a bigger house? Do you need more house? Do you need a bigger uh, car, another car? Do you actually need to go back to school to get a, another degree? And that's what real friends do. That's what good friends do. They check in on you and they get in your business a little bit. And you need people that will get in your business a little bit. And so the first thing, friends, that we have to do to fight against this coveting cycle in our hearts is we have to acknowledge that our hearts are deceitful. But then secondly, we have to acknowledge God's goodness in our lives. We have to acknowledge the goodness of God in our lives. I love Miss Audrey. She's always praising God and acknowledging the goodness of God in our life. If you've been around her for a few seconds... She's going to let you know God is good, and he is. And that's what we need to do. We need to acknowledge God's goodness in our life. We need to take inventory in our life and stop peeking over the other side of the fence so much. We need to say that, God, you've been good. Even through my trials and my tribulations, God, you've been good to me. As a matter of fact, you've been better to me than I deserve. And we need to be at that place of taking inventory. Uh, The poet, a poet by the name of Trinidad Jones said it like this. He said, Mama always told me, boy, count your blessings. All right? (laughs) We need to be at that place of contentment. Uh, King David gives us an example of this. Psalm 16, uh, verses 5 and 6. We take a look at King David. He says, uh, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David is saying, God has tailor-made my life. All of my wins, all of my losses, God, you've designed it all and you are good. And I trust you and I trust that you are good to me in everything. Uh, He talks about this lot, this word lot. He said, my lot is in your hand. That's not a word that we really use a lot. Once again, not really a 21st century word. That that word lot basically means it is the sum or the totality of all of God's provisions in your life. That's your lot. So if you could draw a box around your life, and inside that box were the sum of all your possessions, all of your wins, all of your losses, everything that is provided for you from God, you were to put that in that box. That is God's lot for you. And David is saying that, God, my lot is in your hand. My life is in your hand. Everything that you've provided for me, good, in the hard days as well, all right, that's in your hand. And I'm trusting that you are good. So I'm not anxious about that. I'm not fearful about that. I'm not checking somebody else's lot. I'm not thinking you got my order wrong. My lot is secure in your hands. He isn't worried about anything. God is... Uh, good to him, he says, and he is grateful. The grateful heart says, I'm thankful for the house that you gave me. It might not be their house. I might not have the pool in the backyard or whatever, but I'm, thank- I'm thankful for the house because this is my lot. This is the house that you've given me. All right? I- I'm-, I'm thankful for the talent that you gave me. All right? I might not be Michael Jordan talented. All right? I might not be about to go pro, uh, but I'm thankful for the talent that you've given me and I trust that you are good and that you give good gifts and that you are a good God. That's what the thankful heart says. In verse 6, David says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. 
He is satisfied. He is content. He is saying, God is the architect of my life. And he has made boundaries in my life. And I have limits, right? I have strengths. I have weaknesses, all right? But God has designed and architected my life in such a way that I can say the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. So when the Joneses get a new car, all right, or when my coworker gets a promotion, or when my friend gets engaged, I'm not doubting God's goodness in my life. I'm thankful for what's on my side of the fence. Amen. And I know that God is not a second early or a second late when it comes to the provisions that he has thought for me and planned for me and provided for me in my life. He's not a second early or a second late. And timing is a big part of this, friends. We have to be willing to wait and trust God's goodness in our life. Uh, my wife and I are on a low meat diet. I don't call us vegans because that's an identity. That's not my identity. <laughs> I'm on a low meat diet. I might mess around and grab me a chicken strip here and there. All right. But we're on a low meat diet. And, and sometimes it's hard to be on this low meat diet uh, when you go to a fast food restaurant. Right. And so one day last year, uh, one day last year, I was uh, driving out in East Memphis and I was hungry. And so I had to stop by a fast food restaurant and I'm, I'm trying to keep this low meat diet. And so I get in line and I'm checking the Burger King menu of all places. And I'm like, what do they have for me? All right. And so I know. And so, and I find a veggie burger. Praise God. I find a veggie burger at Burger King. And so I'm like, all right, let me get this veggie burger. So I pull up to the window, I mean, the, the radio or whatever. And they were like, what can we get for you? I'm like, I'll take the veggie burger. And to my chagrin, I'm told, oh, the veggie burger. Oh, that's going to be a wait. <laughs> they don't just got veggie burgers sitting around, right? I'm like probably the first person in two months <laughs> to order this veggie burger. And so I'm like, okay, I'll pull over and I'll wait for my veggie burger. And I'm waiting in this long line. It took about 30 minutes, no lie. About 30 minutes, I'm waiting for this veggie burger in East Memphis. I almost called a complaint. But so I'm waiting there and I'm watching everybody go. They're just progressing. And in that moment, I'm tempted to settle and just go for the Whopper or something like that, right? Um, and I'm tempting to covet the other people and the progress they're making and how fast... They're going, but how many people know that when God is preparing something special for you, sometimes you gotta wait. Amen? And as everyone is moving on, the easiest thing for you to do is to settle for what you know is not for you. But sometimes you just got to wait. And trust me, you will regret settling. But you will not regret waiting on the Lord. No one ever has. Amen? There's no need to covet. The lines have been drawn for you in pleasant places. He says in pleasant places. The lines have been drawn for you in pleasant places. So to fight a coveting heart, I have to acknowledge that my heart is sick and that my heart is deceitful. I have to acknowledge God's goodness and trust his goodness in my life. But also I have to learn how to celebrate God's goodness in other people's lives. That's our third point. We have to learn to celebrate God's goodness in other people's lives. Friends, are you able to celebrate others? 
Are you able to celebrate others when you don't have anything to celebrate at that moment or um, when you aren't being acknowledged? Are you able to celebrate others? This is the hard stuff, right? But this is so beautiful when it happens, right? Are we able to celebrate others? Romans 12:15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. It also says, Mourn with those who mourn. I think if you're struggling with coveting, it's probably a little bit easier to mourn with those who mourn than to rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, and so Romans 12, 15, this is, this is for the people of God. God's people are to rejoice with those who rejoice. So we, uh, we, we celebrate uh, other people's victories, right? We, we do a toast to someone else's accomplishments. Uh, we celebrate the birth of someone else's child, right? Uh, we celebrate when someone else gets the new house or the new car or the promotion because God has provided for them. We rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what the people of God are called to do. That's how we are to be good neighbors to one another. As we talk about this we series and intimacy with God leads to intimacy with others. We are to rejoice with our brothers and sisters. Uh, we just had a member of our community group uh, get a new house, close on a house. And we need to rejoice with Todd and, and, and charity, right? Uh, we rejoice with those who rejoice. The opposite of this is the competitive, bitter heart that doesn't want to see anybody else win, right? That's the competitive, bitter heart. Uh, nobody wants to announce good news around this person. You try to hide it from this person. If I tell them what happened, they're going to be upset or they're going to turn it into something bad and it's probably going to, something bad going to happen anyway, you know. <laughs> To your car, your car is probably going to get hit by a lightning bolt or something. So you don't, you don't, you don't feel even comfortable telling these type of people about uh, the good things. We don't want to be those type of people. We want to be the type of friend that someone can come tell us something and we celebrate and we rejoice with them. Those are the type of friends that we want to be and these are the type of friends that you need in your life. Amen. Because um, the coveting heart, if we don't watch it, can ruin friendships. It can ruin community. It's the picture of the kid at the birthday party who's crying because it's not his birthday, right? And everybody is singing songs to the other kid and giving him gifts. He's like, why don't I get gifts? Why don't, why don't I get sang too? Because it's not your birthday. Get over yourself. All right? If we don't get over ourselves, it will lead to division and fights. James tells us this in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you. Hmm. What's causing all the fights? <laughs> What's causing the fights and the quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The coveting heart kills community. It destroys marriages. It erodes friendships. It deteriorates trust and unity within the church. James is saying here, this is why we even fight in the first place. All of these desires and all of these wants have gotten out of control. The coveting heart is why people rob. All right? It's why people steal. It's why people kill. It's why people commit adultery. It's the reason why, if I'm being honest, economic 
systemic oppression, that type of thing, exists because of the greedy, coveting heart that always wants more and more and more, more profit, more gain, more ex, uh, expansion, more notoriety, you name it. That heart just wants more, more, and more. And so the coveting heart isn't necessarily the person who's poor or lacks nothing. We can be tempted to believe that. The only, the only person that can covet is the person who doesn't have anything. Actually, people who have quite a lot can covet as well because you want more. And that heart isn't satisfied yet. And that heart just wants more and more and more. Thou shalt not covet is a big deal because it leads to the breaking of the rest of the commandments until God is enough. Nothing is enough. So how we deal with covetousness in our private lives has a very significant impact on the peace in our public and communal lives. So let's recap a little bit. So how do we go to war with this coveting? One, we have to admit that our hearts are deceitful. Two, we have to acknowledge and trust God's goodness in our lives. And thirdly, we have to be able to celebrate God's goodness in other people's lives because until God is enough, nothing will be enough. As the band comes, um, uh, I met a person who who lived like this. Uh, He was the type of guy that everybody liked to be around. It It was Ashley's Uncle Chadrick Sparks. And I'm not making this up. This dude was the life of the party. He was so generous and so loving. He was about six foot five, huge dude, and he just hugged you and wrapped his arms around you. And he was a kissing brother, so he might kiss you on your head or something. All right? So that was his style. He was so loving. He was always giving his life away uh, to other people. And, man, he was an amazing uh, man. He actually had just started a business for himself this year. He was a chef. Uh, it was called Sparks Sliders. And he, he opened this, uh, this restaurant. And actually the news came to see him in his new restaurant and give him attention. It was a perfect opportunity to make it all about himself, right? Uh, but instead, what he did was, he was like, hey guys, I know you're here to see me, but let me introduce you to some of these other guys who have restaurants around here as well. And he took that moment to share that love with other people. He was the type of guy that knew that God had enough love to go around for everybody. He didn't have this scarcity mentality that there wasn't going to be enough left over for him. No, he knew that there was enough for everybody. And I think that you can only get to a place like that by being secure in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you know that his love is enough. Amen. Drew, Jesus proved his love for us by dying on the cross for us even while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to do something good. He died for us even while we were still sinners. And in the security of a relationship like that, you, you can find hope. You can find the ability and the capacity to love other people. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and if you don't have that relationship with Christ, I just want to invite you to, to accept him as the Lord of your life. And if you're here and you're in a relationship with Christ, I want you to continue to grow in understanding of God's love for you and his, his love in your life. And I'm going to ask community group leaders and elders to come up front and pray with people because somebody might be here this morning who needs to pray about that very thing this morning. Somebody may be here this morning and you say, yes, man, I've tried everything and nothing seems to be enough. And I need something else. Or I am a Christian, but I've just been distracted lately, focusing on too much, focusing on other things. I need to be reminded that God is enough. Until God is enough, nothing will be enough for us. Let's, let's pray.
Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. Thank you, God, that you are the one who fills the void in our hearts. God, help us to just put down the things that distract us. Father God, let us not go after idols. Let us be able to celebrate other people. Father God, let us be able to be humble and acknowledge the wickedness in our own hearts. And open up our eyes, Father God, so that we can see your goodness all around us. When the enemy tries to tell us that you're not good or that nothing's going good and there's only a storm cloud over your life, Father God, remind us of your goodness to us this morning. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, I pray that you would open the eyes of their hearts, Father God, so that they can see that you are good. That they would taste and see that you are good. It's in your mighty sons, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.